Some of you, you may not realize it yet, but God intended you to be here in this service today. He intended you to hear that song, and He intends for you to hear this message, and so today is going to be a good day for you. If you'll just kind of drop the gloves, and you'll just open your heart to what the text, text has to say. And for some of you, uh, I know this talk is going to speak to you because I've had personal conversations with a lot of you, and this talk is going to resonate with you, and you're going to think, man, Gordon prepared that message specifically for me. I did not. This was on the schedule months before you arrived today, which talks about the provision and mindfulness of God. And so the question that we're going to be talking about today is this one. Jesus asked uh, 307 questions. He was asked 183 questions. And this is one of the questions that Jesus asked his disciples. And the question is this, why are you afraid? With everything that's going on, why are you afraid? With everything that you've seen of me, why are you afraid? And it kind of goes back to how are we doing? Like, ask that question of yourself. How, how are you doing? How are you doing when you look at your relational world? Are you feeling rocked? Are you feeling hopeless in that area? How are, how are you doing when it comes to raising those kids when you have a, an EGR in the mix, extra grace required child? If you have two, you have one, I'm telling you. How are you doing when it comes to your financial world? How are you doing emotionally with everything that's going on in your life right now? And then how, more importantly, how are you doing spiritually with everything that's going on in your life right now? How are you holding up? How's your faith holding up? In the 1600s, Rembrandt, he painted this picture called the storm on the Sea of Galilee. And you look at the picture and you have the front of the boat, you have the waves and the winds, they're bashing up against the boat. This picture again in the 1600s gives us a depiction of the disciples and then you see that the only person that's at calm in this boat is Jesus. He's back here. They're getting ready to wake, they're not getting ready, they're actually in the process of waking him up right now. He's the only one that kind of presents a, a peaceful uh, picture in the midst of all this that's going on. The storms, the wind, the waves, the sea, all bus- busting up against the boat. Up in front, they're trying to maintain control, but the sails are ripping. These are disciples who've been in storms before, but this one, it's epic. One of the disciples Right here, this guy, one of my favorites, he's vomiting over the side of the boat. Some of you, some of you can relate to this guy right here. That's you on the boat. There's chaos everywhere in this picture. But if you count, there are 14 people represented in this picture. Now, here's the thing. Some of you, like, you're really smart, and you're like, wait a minute. Jesus had how many disciples? 12, okay, so 12 plus Jesus is what? You guys are strong here, early, early service. You're strong. This guy right here, notice him. He's the first photo bomber. He comes into play in the 1600s. This guy right here, this one, looking directly at you right now, him. He's the one, where'd he go? Rembrandt, where is he? Can you circle him? Let me see him. This guy. It's Rembrandt. 
He's the one who's photobombing the picture. He could have brought a banana into the boat, and that's why the whole storm took place. We're not sure. Don't ever take a banana on a boat. But he paints himself in that picture because life can be like that. It can be synonymous of what was going on in that boat that day where you've got Jesus with you. You know you got Jesus with you. You know that he's the master of the skies and the seas and whatever he says goes, but he's in the boat with you. But yet you're in this place where you're in between what God can do, what Jesus can do, and the storms and the waves and the winds that are blowing up against you at the same time. Life can be like that. We have Jesus, but the storm is epic. And it's bigger, for these disciples, this is bigger than any storm I would dare say that they ever faced. So what I want you to do is just take a minute and I want you to name your storm. You might be going through a couple storms right now, and I want you to just put a name on it. And as you put a name on it, I I want you to then ask another question, is it bigger than Jesus? Is it more than what God can handle? And so we go into the text in Mark chapter 4, we get a picture as evening came, Jesus has been doing a bunch of ministry, He's he's been healing a lot of sick people. He's been casting out devils and miracles are happening. People are, are glomming on to the ministry of Jesus. A lot is taking place and people are seeing the supernatural in Jesus' ministry, including the disciples. And so Jesus says, because the crowds are so great, he's like, let's go to the other side of the lake. He's talking about the Sea of Galilee. So they took Jesus in the boat. Notice all the details here. They took Jesus in the boat, started out leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon, like so this was sudden, soon a a fierce storm came up, high waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. So what do you get from that passage? You get number one, Jesus tells them to cross the lake. Two, Jesus is with them in the boat. Three, there's other people or other boats that are following them across the the lake. This storm is life-threatening, and they're beginning to sink. And some of you, you might relate to that with what's going on in your world. You might have a physical challenge and you feel like you're about to sink. You might have a spiritual challenge and you feel like you're about to sink. A relational challenge or a financial challenge and you feel like you're about to sink. This word storm that that he uses is a very specific storm. It's actually, the, the word is actually seismic. It's actually the word that we use when we, uh, when we talk about earthquakes, seismology, the study of earthquakes. So this is not some small uh, thundercloud. It literally rocked the boat, and some of you feel that way, and this one was such a big storm that it rocked the, the lives and the faith of experienced fishermen. Now, from a geographical standpoint, uh, the sea of, sea of Galilee is 680 feet above sea level. And just to the north of the Sea of Galilee, and some of you got to see this in real time, just to the north of the Sea of Galilee is Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon rises up about 9,200 feet uh, into the skies. Uh, It's cold enough uh, to be able to maintain snow on that mountain. And so what happens is that the cold air from the mountain 
makes its way down to the valleys and meets the warm air of the valley at the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is about seven miles across and about 13 miles wide. And what can happen is when that, that wind of cold air comes and meets that, that warm air, it creates a tempest, a storm. They've actually recorded waves on that, on that small lake, really. They've recorded waves up to 25 feet high. And so this was a big one. The disciples are facing it. And so we look at the situation, and they're terrified. Jesus already told them that they're going to make it to the other side. And here's the thing. You and I can trust what Jesus has to say. You and I, when we read the Bible, we can trust what it has to say about how God will come through for us as we're processing through whatever we're going through. It says in the text of Isaiah, and it's really important to do this, to to grab on to passages of Scripture that you can go to when the storms of life hit. This is what it says in Isaiah 43. I want you to take a look at it in your Bibles or, or, uh, or make, make note of it by taking pictures of the screen. This is what the text says. You're in a storm. Hear these words. Do not be afraid. I've ransomed you. In other words, God's saying, I sent Jesus to literally die on the cross for you. I've called you by name. You are mine. You are chosen by God. When you go through the deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through the rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you'll not be burned up. And those flames, they'll not consume you, for I am the Lord your God. Not somebody else's God, not the God of the Old Testament. I'm the Lord your God, your Savior. In other words, he's going to take care of you and I when we're walking through it. When storms that come that we don't understand, he'll be there. He'll help us get through whatever we're going going through. The fact of the matter is, is Jesus going to get us through the storm? No matter what storm you and I might be facing, as evening came, Jesus says to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. Again, he tells them that they're going to cross. Now, in the middle of the lake, when the storm is raging, they forget that Jesus is the one who told them that they would cross to the other side of the lake. I was reading a story a while back. It it stuck with me, and some of you that are sports fans, you'll know this name, Cooper Cup. Um, He played for the University of Washington, or or Eastern Washington University, right right outside of Spokane, Washington, where Jesus summers. And he he played for that team, and... uh, he plays for the Rams now. They won the Super Bowl last year, and they were interviewing him, and they were talking about the ride that he'd gone on. A couple years prior, he was hurt when the Rams went to the Super Bowl, and he couldn't play in the Super Bowl. And he talked to the reporters after winning the Super Bowl and becoming the MVP of, of last year's Super Bowl. He said, he said, I went into this game playing not for victory, but from victory. Because a while back, after we had had that loss, the Lord revealed to me that we would be back and that I would come off of the field as the MVP. The Lord actually told him that. So he said when he stepped on the field, he played from victory, not for victory. And many of us, we feel like we're fighting for victory. We already have the victory in the name of Jesus. God's already provided the victory for us in the name of Jesus. And our storm, it's not unique. A lot of times you can get in the middle of something and you think, I'm the only one that's faced this physical challenge. 
I'm the only one that's faced this relational challenge. I'm the only one that has to, or has had to live with a horse's rear end like that. It's not true. Your storm's not unique. My storm's not unique. So they took Jesus in the boat and they started out leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed is what Mark says. And he includes that there are other boats that are following, and I think that detail is specifically in the text of Scripture so that we will know that there are others that face the same kind of storms that we face, that we're not alone in the storms that we face. Our storm is not unique. I would dare say if we did a show of hands right now, there are plenty of people in here that are facing physical challenges. There are plenty of people that are either here in this house, out on the lawn, or watching online that are facing relational challenges. Plenty that are facing financial challenges, but what I will also tell you is there are plenty of people that are sitting around you right now that have gone through those storms and are victorious on the other side. Every single one of them. You need to think about this. And I want, I want us to just kind of read this next slide aloud. Could you, could you put up 1 Corinthians 10, 13 on the screen behind me, please? I want you to read these words with me. Ready? Let's start. One, two, three. The temptations in your life, walk with me, people, would you please? I'm, I'm dying up here. Okay? Ready? One, two, three. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. Let's do that again. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. That's what it says in the text of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And then it says these words, and God is what? He's faithful. You'll not be allowed the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can what? Endure. He didn't take you out into the middle of the lake to drown you. You're not processing what you're processing through to be defeated. When you think about this word temptations, like temptations and, and trials, there, there is a difference between temptations and trials. You ever thought about that when you read it in the text of Scripture? Is there a difference between temptations and trials? And, and I would say yes, there is. How do you determine the difference between a temptation and a trial? The source. The source tells you the difference. A temptation never comes from God. James 1.13 says this, when tempted, no one should say, God is te tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Temptation comes from three different sources. The first source is the devil, who roam, roams around seeking who he can, what? Devour. Okay, so that's the number one source of temptation is the devil. Number two source of temptation is our love for the world and the things of the world. We get drawn away. Like I have a silver lab, her name is Misty Gray. I only call her Misty Gray when she's bad. She gets her full name when she's bad. That dog loves us. She would never run away from us, but man, she would wander away and get lost if we let her. I was in Texas and I was standing around looking for that dog and she had wandered way, way out there. I didn't even realize where she was. We get drawn away sometimes by the things of this world and we wonder where God went and it was us that wandered off. 
Third source of temptation is the desires of our flesh. Our flesh can wage war, it talks about in Galatians, with the Spirit. Trials or trials or tests, they often come from God to develop our faith and to develop our character. So there is a difference between a trial and a temptation or a test and a temptation. James 1, 2 through 4 says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lack, what he says, anything. So there is a difference. You're not alone in the storm. You might think that you're alone. You might feel that you're alone. The disciples might have felt like Jesus had abandoned them as he uh, was in the boat with them. You're never alone in the storm. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out. Remember that he's in the boat with you. A lot of people, they start out with Jesus in the boat, but then they wash out when things get rough, when the world or the wind or the waves starts bashing against them, and sometimes it can feel like, and all of us that have been followers of Christ for any amount of time, all of us can feel at times that God is unaware of what's going on in our life. Make no mistake about it, he's very aware. And he cares very deeply for you. And what you may be processing through might be a a trial, right, that's developing your faith. Here's the thing, This this is one of the interesting, one of the more interesting stories in Scripture because while the disciples are processing this storm, and I think like only Jesus could pull this off. It says Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. So waves are bashing up against this boat and Jesus is sawing logs in the back of the boat. And sometimes it can feel like that. The disciples, they wake him up shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? Your storm, my storm, never more than what Jesus can handle. What you and I need to do is give our storm to Jesus. When Jesus wakes up, he rebukes the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still, or peace, be still. Before we get out of here, that's going to be the prayer that we pray. Peace, be still. Peace that only Jesus can provide. And then it says that suddenly, not after a while, but instantly. Can you imagine if you were in that boat and this happened this way? Jesus stands up and he says, peace be still, and then instantly the wind stops blowing. The waves die down, and it's perfectly calm. It says there was great calm. When we give our storm to Jesus, peace comes quickly. And for some of us today, that's going to be exactly what happens for you. You're going to give your storm to Jesus, and peace is going to come into your your heart, your spirit, your mind quickly. I think about this, and most of us in this room, we have Jesus in the boat with us. Like, we, we have Jesus with us. If we know that when Jesus said to his disciples to give them this sense of peace as he was getting ready to leave planet Earth, that Jesus said this. He said, in this world, you and I will have trouble. But then he said, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. What you and I are going through today 
light and momentary troubles is what the Bible describes it as. We're just passing through. We're aliens, we're strangers, passing through, making our way towards eternity with him. And if we know that he said in life there was going to be trouble, and if we know that we can take heart because he overcame the world, then why are we afraid? If we know that God is good, why are we afraid? If we know that there isn't anything that's impossible with God, why are we afraid? If we know that all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose, why are we afraid? If we know that if God is for us, who can be against us, why are we afraid? And if we know that God cares for us individually, personally, to such a level it talks about in Luke chapter 12 that the very hairs on our head are numbered. Easy math for God with some of you. The very hairs on your head are numbered by God. And then he says, so don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Because he was describing that if a sparrow, a sparrow fell from the sky, one of the least important birds of their day, as they, they would describe it, God knows that to that degree. He knows you. He knows what you're going through. And you're certainly more valuable than they are. And he's keeping up with you at a greater level. Why are we afraid? Then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And there is this teaching moment here that Jesus is bringing into play when he asks that question, why are you afraid? And it's as if Jesus is taking this personally. Jesus, I can see him looking at the disciples and he's like, listen, you've seen me in action. You've seen what, what I can do. You've seen me heal the sick. You've seen me change dynamics that no other person has been ever to change, been able to change. You have watched me on the path do miraculous things. Why are you so afraid? I was thinking about this because Jesus is, I, I feel like, and I read this a little bit differently than I ever read it before. Jesus, you know, is, is again, I, I, I read it as he's taking it a little bit personally. And, and, one of, our, one of our team members here, uh, Andy Brown. How many of you love Andy Brown? Absolutely, absolutely incredible uh, what he does. He's a joy um, to work with. Um, and he came to me as COVID was kind of, kind of raging. He had just come back from, from vacation, and um, he said, man, I, I just need to talk to you. And so... He sat in the, in the chair in my office, and um, he began to just kind of break things down, and he said, listen, he goes, I know that, you know, COVID has hit, and things might be a little uh, difficult around the church financially, and, and if, you, if you have to let me go, then, then, I, then I'll understand if you need to let me go, but, but I need to know if you're going to let me go. And I just looked at him, and I, I just said, Andy. I can't imagine doing church without you. Like, I can't imagine coming into the office and not seeing you there at your desk. I can't imagine not seeing you take that backpack and go out to those kids' clubs and go to the elementary schools. I can't imagine doing ministry without you. Did you go on vacation thinking that, that, 
that I was on the, on the verge of letting you go? And he's like, I just have carried this stress with me. And I was like, so for me, it's like I took that personally. I was like, Andy, I, would, I wouldn't do that to you. I wouldn't hang you out there. And for me, it was like, man, we've been working together for almost 10 years. Like, does anything in your character, like in my character, like reveal to you that that, that could ever happen in this world? I said, if we were going to do anything, you would know about it well in advance. First, I would take a pay cut. Second, we as a team would take pay cuts. And then third, we would give you guys plenty of time to figure things out. But I walked away from that and I was like, man, we've walked together for a long time. And Jesus is kind of in the middle of this dilemma with the disciples where he's like, man, you saw me do all of these incredible things and if you look back in the DNA of your life, you'll see Jesus at work in your life too. And there's no reason for you to be afraid in regards to what you're facing today. You've seen Jesus in action. Why are you afraid? Jesus is saying, listen, you can trust me. There's a difference between faith and trust. And this is where people get hung up. Most Americans have faith. Like they believe in God or they believe in a supreme being. They have faith that there is a God. There's a difference between faith and belief. You know what the difference is? One is knowledge-based and one is trust-based. So there is a high wire act and he's riding this bicycle across the high wire at the circus. Have you ever seen that before where they ride that, that unicycle across that, the tightrope up high? And the ringmaster is like, look at him go up there. How many of you believe that, that he, could, he could carry someone on his shoulders from, from platform to the other side to the other platform? Everybody's like, yeah, man, he can do that. And he's like, okay, who will volunteer? All the hands go down. That's the difference. That's the difference between faith and trust. Trust says, come what may. Whatever storm blows, whatever situation comes my way, whatever hardship comes my way, I'm going to trust God. Why are you so afraid? Every storm is an opportunity for us to be amazed by Jesus. And that's exactly what happens with the disciples. The disciples were absolutely terrified. Listen, who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Every storm is an opportunity for us to be amazed by Jesus. What about you? Why are you so afraid? You've seen Jesus in action. Jesus will get you through that storm. Whatever named storm it is, your storm, it's not unique. Jesus has been helping people through that same storm from the beginning of time. This storm that you're in, it's an opportunity for you, and more importantly, everyone around you to see Jesus. Now, here's how I want to wrap things up. Some of you you're like, man, I've got a named storm. It's in my life. It's big. It's large. It's looming. Would you just lift up your hand? Because I want to pray for you. You say, hey, I, I came in this place with a storm, and I want to hand it over to Jesus. I want to thank the six people that are raising their hand right now because the rest of us are living in a blessed season. Like, honestly, you got a storm going on in your life right now, okay? I'm going to pray that God 
speaks peace be still or shores you up to be able to face the winds and the waves that you're facing right now because the God of the universe he knows the very number of hairs that are on your head he knows the details of your life and he's the only one that can get you through what you're going through and he's the only one that can calm whatever storm it is father right now I pray for your abiding presence to come upon your kids in a way that they may have never felt it before I pray that you would bring a peace that is beyond understanding because peace never comes through understanding this peace is beyond understanding that whatever storm they're facing whether it be relational whether it be physical whether it be spiritual or whether it be financial or emotional father I pray that you would help your kids to know and trust that that storm bends its knee to you and in the name of Jesus in this moment in time we speak peace be still and I pray dear Lord that your kids would rise up in confidence and walk as children of the King and walk as children who are connected as a family member to the creator of the universe who calms all storms and enables his kids to do his will so father be with your kids bring peace into their hearts in this moment in time in your name we pray amen